At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is Negative M.I.P. With Masamela Matsumal. Mark Thompson. Get woke. He's a founder and director of IKG Cultural Resources, 43 years researching ancient Egyptian history, science, philosophy, and culture, traveled to Egypt 64 times since 1980, and is currently director of the Asa Restoration Project, funding the excavation and restoration of three 25th Dynasty tombs of Kushite noblemen on the west bank of Luxor. He's the first African-American to fund and coordinate an archeological dig in Egypt and has led more than 30 archeological missions to Egypt since 2009. IKG-info.com, Asa Restoration Project.com. The venerable Tony Browder joins us once again. He's been with us all Black History Month, as you know, totally Tony. Hotel brother. Hotel Massimella, pleasure to be back. And if I can just add one addendum to your introduction, we started off uh, 14 years ago uh, excavating three tombs. We now have 20 tombs that we are excavating and restoring. So our numbers have increased by 15, 15 new tombs that we found last year alone. Wow, that's, uh, that's uh, something else. Just while we're on that subject, I was sharing with Tony, folks, that I was at a funeral over the weekend. And I have been in cemeteries and noticed uh, Tekanu, or as the uh, European language would say, obelisks. But you all have been to cemeteries. I'm sure you've seen those structures that look like the Washington Monument over people's graves. As Tony has taught us this month, those are called Tekken, plural. It's an eight, it's singular, it's Tekken, plural is Tekkenu. But then I'm in this cemetery in New York. I didn't just see Tekkenu. I saw a full blown, uh, at least, I don't know, I would say 30 foot tall pyramid with, um, Crips inside of it with the names of people, and I got out, jumped out of the car in the funeral procession, held up the funeral procession to go back <laughs> to take a picture of it. And I was sharing that with Tony. Tony, share with the audience what you share with me off mic about how there was there was a a movement um, in the nineteenth century to embrace these structures. And and then why don't we go ahead and segue because we've yet to talk about masonry. Exactly. And, and it's and, and its relationship to comedic culture. Sure. Well, after Champollion uh, deciphered the Rosetta Stone in 1822, there that was the 
formal beginning of the field of Egyptology. So now with the capacity to go in and decipher these, uh, these texts on temples, monuments, and tombs that had gone undeciphered for over 1300 years after uh, several Roman emperors forced the closing of the temples in Egypt in order to um, limit people's access to the true history of the world and true history of religion. So for 1300 years, the ability to read what was carved on these monuments, written on these papyri was, um, was gone until the Rosetta Stone was deciphered. And once this Rosetta Stone was deciphered, legions of scholars now flooded Egypt to begin reading what was there. And they learned of the ancient Egyptian origins of concepts of the soul, concepts of the salvation of the soul. And they became enamored with this ancient history and the symbols associated with it. Yes. But, but let me let me just, just stop there because I, I let's not assume that everybody's even clear on what the Rosetta Stone is. Cause ah, okay. Cause cause because it Rosetta Stone is now uh an app. If you look at Rosetta Stone, you get the app in the company and it's just a name for an app. So let's be clear, right? Sure. Well, the Rosetta Stone was found by one of uh, Napoleon's generals uh, in the city of Rosetta, Egypt, as they were building a fortification. Uh, Napoleon's troops were in Egypt for three years from 1798 to 1881, um, 1801. And, um, and so the stone contained, was, was carved during the time frame of the Greek occupation of Egypt. And it was a declaration by a Greek king by the name of Ptolemy declaring his right to rule the land. And so this large piece of stone, about maybe three feet high, it's now the most visited object in the British Museum in London. It had, it had the same inscription in three different languages. At the top was Greek, in the middle was um, was a, a form of, of, um, of, of ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics uh, that was easier to read, that was accessible to the general public. And then at the bottom was hieroglyphics itself. So Champollion could read Greek and he began to notice similarities in certain words. And he was able to figure it out that uh, these words that were encircled were the names of royalty. So he was able to decipher the word Cleopatra uh, once he was able to decipher that, he was able to decipher other royal names, and that gave him the clue to begin to decipher hieroglyphics. So once he deciphered this ancient language, uh, legions of scholars went into Egypt and began to read uh, what was carved on the walls, the writings that was carved on the walls thousands of years ago. And that caused them to reevaluate their concept of history and religion. And so the 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 object that we called a obelisk was known in ancient Kemet as a Tekken, and it is a symbol, it is the oldest symbol of resurrection known to mankind. So on the heels of the translation of Egyptian hieroglyphics, you now have people bringing this knowledge back to the United States and Europe with them, knowing of the African origins of the salvation of the soul. So those people who knew that knowledge then, when they died, sought to have a grave marker over their tomb that represented this newly formed concept of life after death. So the pyramid that you saw and photographed over the weekend, Massimella, uh, in the cemetery, if you recall in our first podcast, I gave you, I told you that pyramid is a Greek word and the ancient African word for that structure is mir, which means the place of ascension. So that mir was placed over the bodies of these dead people because that's, that architectural structure, that 
uh, 30-foot high, three-story high architectural structure was designed to facilitate the ascension of their souls into heaven so that they could be reborn. So the very presence of that object in that cemetery is a testimonial to the spiritual genius which sprang from the minds of African people in the Nile Valley over 6,000 years ago. More MIP after this message. The, the graves or the crypts that are there labeled with names were people born as early as 1827. Mm -hmm. And the most recent one buried there in terms of the death date was in 1950. Um, and there's some other spaces in there. I don't know who those are for, but mm -hmm. it, it, it was something to behold. But, but so, when we, so when we talk about masonry, though, um, tell us more about that um, relationship. And was the knowledge of, of life after death, is, is that the, I mean, we know that that's some of the foundation of masonry, but in terms of even architecture, we see that in, in architecture everywhere. And, and, and folks, as you know, on Monday um, of this week, we recognize the anniversary of the martyrdom of Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. And even in Washington, D.C., we renamed a park Malcolm X Park, but its original name is Meridian Hill Park, which which also has a very important connection uh, uh, to us. So let, let me let Tony break that down for you. And that's, <laughs> you, that's the masonry. It's all it's all interrelated in that uh, a mason is a builder of stone. Um, and the craft of mason, masonry, European masonry, reached this height during the era of the uh, building of the great cathedrals in Europe. So you had men who went from city to city designing and constructing these houses of, of God, where the worship of God took place, and they belonged to a guild. So in order to prove that you were a member of this guild, they had certain signs and passwords. So only those people who were part of that union, if you will, were allowed to work in building these, these cathedrals to honor the memory of God Almighty. So this is operative masonry, people who build out of stone. There's also a field of study known as speculative masonry. And speculative masons are, uh, were men who helped to initiate the Renaissance, men, Europeans primarily, who had studied ancient Kemetic history, ancient Egyptian history, mm -hmm. and the concepts of life after death, the concepts of the immortality of the soul, the concepts of astronomy, and those things that are designed to make you a better human being. These men were oppressed by the Roman Catholic Church, and they were forced to go underground with their teachings. And so the evolution of this organization of um, speculative masons or builders of minds of men, as opposed to builders of structures to, to God, uh, became known in the modern world as, as masons, as a craft of masonry. So in the foundation of masonry, you have three branch, branches of masonry, Scottish Rite Order of Masonry and the York Rite Order of Masonry. Both of those had their origins in the UK. And then you also had uh, the Prince Hall Rite of Masonry, which was developed in Boston uh, as a result of Africans being excluded from uh, participating in, in the Grand Lodges here in the United States. It's important to note that uh, Masons, George Washington was a Mason. The Washington Monument 
was built by Masons to honor George Washington, the first Masonic president of the United States. We know for a fact that at least um, 12 presidents of the United States were Masons, many Supreme Court justices, um, as well as members of Congress. So Masonry was created specifically, and, and I can say Scottish Rite, the Scottish Rite Order of Masonry was created specifically as an opportunity to teach men how to become better men. And the knowledge, uh, the origins of the knowledge of Masonry is information which came straight out of Egypt. The evidence for that came when they were in the process of removing a Tekken uh, that was in the city of Alexandria, Egypt, the northernmost part of Egypt. That Tekken had originally been constructed in um, in uh, what is now known as Luxor, Egypt, which was the capital. Uh, and as they were, that Tekken was given as a gift to the United States of America mm -hmm. in um, I think the late the late 19th century. Uh, and so as they were dismantling that Tekken in Alexandria, they found symbols in the base of that Tekken that uh, they said were associated with masonry, a smooth stone and a rough stone and other symbols. And so since that structure was erected during the time of the Romans in Alexandria, they claimed that as proof of the African origins of masonry. And, and so that Tekken now stands in Central Park behind the Metropolitan Museum. But when Masons specifically talk about building of stone, the example of the first builder of stone, the first Mason, uh, takes us all the way back to Africa, to Saqqara, to the person known as Imhotep, uh, who designed the first building of stone. So those who know the history of Masonry, trace it back to the Nile Valley and, and trace the beginning of the craft of building out of stone to an African by the name of Imhotep. More MIP after this message. When George Washington and, and those Masons were around and involving themselves in Masonry, were we already at the place where they probably were convinced that these first Masons in Egypt were not African? Or did they actually know <clears throat> that they had secret African knowledge and just weren't going to tell us about it? So we have to remember what W.B. Du Bois told us, that the uh, rise of Egyptology corresponded with the rise of slavery. So these men, America's founding fathers, had legalized slavery in the United States. It's in the Constitution. So they probably knew, some of them, some of them, not all of them, probably knew. But in order to create this slaveocracy that we now call America, America is a not a democracy, but a slaveocracy built on a foundation of um, the enslavement of African people, they had to deny uh, the truth in order to build this great nation. And so that's part of the work that we've been doing over the years is uncovering the truth and rebuilding what I refer to as secrets that have been hidden in plain sight. So you mentioned Malcolm X Park, which was originally known as Meridian, Meridian Hill Park, which sits on Meridian Hill, the prime meridian of Washington, DC. Uh, and that street that Meridian Hill Park is on is called 16th Street. 16th Street is the meridian of the city. A meridian is a is a uh, line of longitude that runs north and south that represents the sun at high noon and in ancient kemet that meridian line represented a corridor or pathway of spiritual energy so that meridian line of 16th street bisects the 10 mile square that was originally the capital of the united states of america washington dc 
and it, it marks that spiritual corridor that runs from the White House, which begins at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, all the way down to its termination point on Eastern Avenue, a distance of seven miles. And on that seven mile stretch of the Washington Meridian, you have over 62 churches and other spiritual centers and two uh, Masonic facilities. You have more spiritual centers on the seven mile stretch of land than any seven mile stretch of land in the United States of America. So much so the 16th street is also known as the Avenue of the churches and God's Boulevard. And um, so, so that's something about the history of Washington DC that we cover in our Egypt on the Potomac field trip where we lay out uh, the secrets of DC that have been hidden in plain sight. I had also heard somewhere, I don't know if this is true or not, that that meridian line, if you if you follow it, it leads directly to the great around the world. You stay on that line, it leads directly to Egypt and the Great Pyramids or something. Is that um, that's that's not true. Uh, that's not true. I mean, yeah, that's not true. Just as you know, there's a lot of misinformation out here. And what I love to do is correct misinformation with historical fact. Just as uh, there's misinformation that abounds in D.C., particularly that um, Benjamin Banneker, who did the celestial observations in order to uh, help determine the 10 mile square that became known as Washington, D.C., that Benjamin Banneker recreated the plans for the city after LaFont was fired. That's not true. Uh, Benjamin Banneker never met LaFont. So there's enough truth about the role that Banneker played for us to hang our hats on without making up something that has no um, historical legitimacy. Yeah. Just a couple of questions on Masons, masonry since we're talking about it. Well, first of all, these temples often have its comedic architecture. Absolutely. There are comedic uh, uh, images. Absolutely. Metanature. Mm -hmm. um, tributes to Heru. Mm -hmm. All of this is common in a Masonic temple, correct? It is. As a matter of fact, the best example I can give you is a structure at the corner of 16th and S Street Northwest called the House of the Temple. This building was the international headquarters for all 33rd degree Masons on the planet. As a matter of fact, Dan Brown in his novel, The Lost Symbol, uh, begins that story in that Masonic temple. Um, and, and so what you'll find at the exterior of that temple, you'll find a pair of sphinxes, one on the right with his eyes closed, one on the left with his eyes open. You'll find uh, a series of steps leading to the entrance of that temple. The steps advance in a, in a series of three steps, five steps, seven steps, nine steps, which lead to the door. You'll have um, on the roof of that building a step pyramid, right? So you'll have on the exterior of that building elements that acknowledge their African origins. And when you go inside of that building for a tour. That building is open to the general public for tours during the weekday, has an incredible uh, library. It was one of the first public libraries that was open to people of color in segregated Washington, DC. You'll see images of comedic personalities, uh, but they're all referenced by their Greek names. So if you don't know African history, then you'll go on that tour and you'll continue to give credit to the people that George G.M. James wrote about in Stolen Legacy who have misappropriated the historical legacy and traditions of African people. Um, we also have black Masons. We know masonry was said. All Masons, Prince All Masons. Prince All Masons, right. And mm -hmm. and um, I guess just like our Panhellenic organizations, mm -hmm. it, it, has there been in, in, in your experience, 
uh, and interest when it comes to Prince Hall Masons in connecting their knowledge and history to to Africa and acknowledging that, you know, here we have something here. A lot of things we discover and then we have to go back and discover it really came from us in the first place. Exactly. We take it from them. They got it from us. Exactly. And that same situation um, is quite abundant within the Prince Hall Masonic Lodges. I have several good friends who are uh, Prince Hall Masons who are in the upper echelon of Prince Hall Masonry. And, and they tell me of the internal struggle that they have trying to get their lodge brothers to embrace the African origins of masonry. So it's a struggle. Um, and on my Egypt on the Potomac field trips, which I've been doing since 1986, uh, annually, I would have groups of Prince Hall Masons take my field trip. On a one field trip I did, this is well over 15 years ago, I had an elder Prince Hall Mason, 33rd degree Mason, tell me one hour into the field trip, it's a three hour activity. He told me one hour into the field trip that I've learned more about masonry from you in one hour than I have in over 30 years of masonry. So I know from my own personal experiences that people are controlled not so much by what they know, but by what they don't know. And as a consequence, uh, people who have been miseducated, as Carter G. Wilson defined it, uh, are reluctant to embrace information that contradicts what they believe to be true. It's called okay. cognitive dissonance. Yeah, uh, right. psychologists, and and it's a it's a part of the human condition. Uh, it it certainly is. Um, as we said, folks, uh, the martyrdom of Malcolm X was this past Monday, February twenty first, which coincides with the birthday of the Honorable John Lewis. Mm. The two of them met in Kenya for the first time in nineteen sixty four which led to Minister Malcolm being invited to uh, Selma, where many of us will be next week. Mm -hmm. uh, he spoke in Selma, shared the pulpit with Mrs. King, tried to see Dr. King in jail, all of that while he was there. And then he was assassinated a couple of weeks later coming uh, when he got back from Selma. I don't think that was a coincidence. He was trying to enter um, and find his place in the civil rights movement. And if he and Dr. King had come together, it would have been something. But imagine, talked about Meridian Hill Park, now Malcolm X Park, these two brothers meeting in Kenya. Imagine if the two of them had bumped into Tony Brown in Egypt uh, <laughs> and what they would have done. Because we just didn't have that information yet. Exactly. We, you know, this is, a, this is an, a, a march. Everything is a march. It's an evolution. And and Tony has brought us up to this point, and then there'll be other things that we'll learn. But if if I've said this before, and this since we've been talking to Tony all month, if brothers like that, if Dr. King had had only been able to touch this information in that way, ooh, hmm. ooh, you know. But but you know, might have just been too much for everybody to take uh, all at once in that moment. Well, uh, I, I believe very strongly that everything happens in its own time when it's supposed to happen. And there are always people, there have always been people who have moved uh, the ball forward and who have spoken um, uncomfortable truths that needed to be heard in order to prepare us for the future that's waiting for us. So that's that's life. Thank you, Tony. Talk more tomorrow. Tomorrow, folks, we will have some more uncomfortable truths, perhaps <laughs> one of the most uncomfortable truths of all. So fasten your seatbelts tomorrow. I'll make it plain with Tony Browder. IKG-info.com, AceRestorationProject.com. Thank you, Baba. My pleasure. Talk to you tomorrow. Peace.
Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.